Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents, and welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investing podcast with me, Frank Flegg, founder of Ethical Property Partners, and today a very special guest. We have Ben Beadle from the NRLA. Ben, how are you, sir? Yeah, really well, thank you. Thanks for the invite. Oh, no worries at all. It's uh, great to have you on. We've actually been working with the NRLA for whew, years now. I don't know how many years we've been members. Our franchisees have been members, many of them. And we've also um, advertised quite a lot in the NRLA magazine. So great to have you on. I feel quite um, like we have a celebrity, actually, because this morning, someone, one of my team forwarded me a video of you on breakfast tv are you often on breakfast tv ben or is this morning a (laughs) one-off it's my second time in two months so um quite frequent then yeah (laughs) no it's good it's good to be getting the uh the the voice out there and the cut through there's just so many as i'm sure we'll get onto so many important issues when it comes to housing and i'm very determined to tell uh Uh, our side of the story on behalf of our members. Absolutely, absolutely. So we have a international audience. So I always try and avoid acronyms, etc. and abbreviations. And NRLA is probably going to go over a lot of people's heads. Even our UK audience may not have heard of you, although the majority are investors and landlords. So you hopefully have a lot of clients listening. But would you like to summarise what the NRLA do? Yeah, with pleasure. So we're the National Residential Landlords Association. Our primary raison d'etre is to to represent the interests of our members in a political and campaigning sense, but we do a huge amount more. So we provide uh, an advice line, we provide tax investigation insurance, we provide a wealth of knowledge, documents, information, commercial providers, uh, essentially wanting to become a one-stop shop. Uh, for landlords. So whatever your your landlord-related itch is, I would hope that you would come to the NRLA for said itch to be scratched. <laughs> I like it. I have to admit, we're obviously a property education franchise. I don't know how much you know about EPP, but we often will signpost our partners to the NRLA because we're, we're generalists. We know how to put all the elements of a property investors toolkit together and how to do deals and how to structure portfolios but we're not as experienced as accountants at the tax so we signpost our our franchisees our partners to accountants for specialist tax advice we signpost them to mortgage brokers when they're looking to structure their deals etc and we'll often signpost them to yourselves when it's a specialist tenant or legal or compliance issue because it's such a rapidly changing environment and it's brilliant to have an organization like yourselves where you're at that cutting edge you understand it inside out but also you're looking at things from a landlord's perspective so really value your contribution to the sector ben that's really kind and i think you know whilst we are a a landlord campaigning organization i like to think that a lot of the things that we do and that we ask for are all about supporting the sector and those that are in it you know i don't buy this sort of argument that we have to pit landlords and tenants uh, against each other i know that's what happens i very much believe that what's good for the landlord is is generally good for the tenant it's a really homogenous sort of um Uh, sector that we're in so making sure that we have the right sort of improvements 
for the sector that our members can live with and and sort of thrive in is really important to me, not least because I am a landlord and I've been a landlord for 20 years. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's really odd, isn't it? I can't think of many industries, Ben, where the customer is viewed as an adversary, but it seems that in ours, they absolutely are. But you're absolutely right. If you keep your customers happy, if you look after them, then they're going to be repeat customers, they're going to be long-term tenants, and they're going to be a really good part of our business. So yeah, I agree. You have to work with both, don't you? No, you absolutely do. And I think, you know, I know that there are kind of good and bad of, of all sorts in our industry. There's bad landlords and there's bad tenants, but that's not the majority. And I think, you know, really sort of trying to make sure that that landlords can prosper uh, in very difficult um, at times, but also help their tenants as well is is really, really important. Absolutely. So you mentioned you've been an a investor and a landlord for 20 odd years. What changes have you seen in that time, Ben? What, what got you into investing? And then what have you seen change over 20 years? And I'll put this in context. I, I bought my first property in 2006. So what's that? That's 16 years ago. So I'm a, a little bit younger in property than you. What have you seen change? Well, I'm, I'm trying to work out when I bought my first one. I think it was 2001. And um, I bought a, a one bed flat and, and kind of built the portfolio uh, on from there, really. I mean, I've always worked in in housing, so I knew the area that I wanted to invest in, and I basically grew it exponentially from there. I don't have a significant por- portfolio, but I've got sort of eight, nine properties, and so it's a reasonable number. But I think what I've seen is, you know, it was attractive. You were encouraged back then. It was a good thing to do. Um, now, I'm, if I put it politely, I'm not feeling that at all. We have barriers to en- entering the market. You know, we have barriers to leaving the market and we have barriers to staying in the market. So, And I think this is problematic. And, you know, I've been making this point not just this morning on BBC Breakfast, but on other shows as well that we've been over. We need the thriving rent, uh, private rented sector. We don't want the PRS to contract in the way that it's doing at the moment. And there'll be people sort of ideologically out there, ideologically out there that will welcome landlords uh, leaving the sector. But, you know, be careful what you wish for, folks, because I'm not going to give you a a basic economics lesson. But if you've got less of something, um, then what's behind kind of costs a bit more. And that's what we're seeing at the moment. So, you know, I I, I feel it's a hostile environment uh, to landlords and property owners, uh, it has been for some time, not just through taxation, but through uh, regulation uh, and the like. And, and generally, it's a far less attractive place to be. And I'm worried in the light of sort of interest rate changes and mortgage changes that soon whole swathes of portfolios will suddenly become unaffordable. And that's a problem. Absolutely. So I've been actively investing since 2009. I properly got going as a full-time investor in 2009. And I'd never bought more than three properties from one person. So you can't really class those as portfolios. So I'd basically never bought a portfolio of an investor. I bought big deals. I bought a hotel and stuff, but never a portfolio. And in August this year, we completed on a portfolio of 27 apartments from one investor. And on Friday last week, we signed up a purchase of 13 properties from a couple. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, Ben. I think that is landlords coming out of the sector just going enough's enough both of those were elderly 
landlords or landlords that had been in retirement for a while and they were just like this is too much work now it used to be pleasant it used to be part-time but the compliance the 27 apartments none of them had eicrs on them so the landlord just missed the fact that they needed electrical safety certificates and i think a lot of landlords and they weren't they were very um well maintained flats the landlords were really diligent they just hadn't kept up with with compliance and regulation and the problem is the risks are massive now the fines are huge the liability is huge imagine if there'd been an electrical fault um a few years ago i had a house where a tenant went to hospital didn't notify us was in hospital for 3 weeks and their clock radio malfunctioned and it burnt the house down the roof stayed on, but the rest of the house was gutted. And I used to think insurance was, a, was an unnecessary overhead, but you only need something like that to realize like, wow, you really do need it. But if that had been an appliance in one of these apartments and they'd never had an electrical safety certificate done, goodness knows. And if there'd been someone in the property, obviously our property was empty. It's horrific to wonder hot water that those landlords would have found themselves in completely unwittingly. So I think you're right. I think we're going to see a lot of landlords coming out of the sector. But the problem is, as you say, the macroeconomics of it can't be cheated. Rents are just going through the roof at the moment and continue to do so. And I'd love your thoughts actually on what you think the government might do about that, because you only have to look over the border to Wales to see what's happening there um, and to Scotland uh, where we've had rent freezes, etc. Well, what are your thoughts, Ben, on how governments are going to approach this? Because it's eye-watering at the moment. In, for landlords, great news. Rents are, are going through the roof. But for tenants, it's it's hard. So what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts just to dial back to the uh, that person that you described with the sort of 13 properties i you know i wouldn't describe that individual as diligent they may be diligent in terms of other things with their portfolio but you know it's pretty poor show not to have any icr and and basic compliance in place and frankly that's what gives us a bad name because the ramifications of not doing the right sort of thing don't bear thinking about so we have to get better at that sort of stuff sorry ben i just wanted to come back to you on that i agree a hundred percent i agree a hundred percent if i or one of my franchisees etc but these guys were in their late 70s had been landlords for decades had great relationships with their tenants they had gas safety certificates if a if a um, a maintenance issue arose, they were on it. They had just not realised. And uh, to be fair, electrical certificates have been in for oh my goodness, you'll probably know better than me, but close on a decade now. They just they'd missed that part. And I get what you say. You know, we're we're in an industry, so we need to know what the regulation in that industry is. But the point I was making was they weren't bad landlords on purpose. They weren't trying to cut corners. They were horrified when we explained to them uh, what needed to be done and. Part of the deal actually was us going and getting EICRs on all properties before we bought them. So, yeah, I, I take your point entirely. But I, I think my point was more good people who have previously been completely compliant can easily fall foul of the changing regulations without realizing it, especially the older generation who perhaps have, you know, are not as tech savvy, etc. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think it's all the more um, reason to make sure that, you know, if you're if you're not working with an organization that's going to keep you up to date, then you l use a letting agent who can who can do that sort of thing on your behalf, because I'm afraid, you know, the sort of nice guy, oh, I made a mistake kind of thing. 
uh, the house has burnt down killed two of my tenants is not a good place to be that's, that's <laughs> no, yeah. the um the oops defense doesn't really cut it does it yeah <laughs> and, and, and moreover there's there's no sympathy for it as well and that's the thing that we we and i'm not looking for sympathy by any by any stretch but whenever you've got a legitimate argument about something or other with a, a po- from a policy perspective you know the reality is no one gives a hoot if i can put it in those terms if it impacts landlords it's all about the impact on the on the consumer all always about the impact on the on the tenant and uh, you know to dial back to the sort of mortgage conundrum and the, the sort of cost of living and raising raising rents well it, it's worth me pointing out i think that rents in the year to October have gone up by 3.8%. Now that might surprise some people and that's not uh, a random NRLA stat to to, um, uh, keep the wolves at bay. That's the Office for National Statistics. So rents are increasing at a lower rate than in the uh, social sector. They increased by 4.1%, I think it was, in April last year, and they won't increase by more than 7% in April next year. The problem is, as I'm sure you're, you're well aware, is landlords actually don't increase, for the most part, their rents within tenancy. Two-thirds of them typically keep the rent the same. The problem comes when that tenant leaves and it gets reset and it comes to the market and obviously market rent is charged. This is where the overall supply issue comes into play because if, you know, I'm teaching you to suck eggs, but you know, if we have uh, landlords selling their, their assets and they don't stay in the private rented sector, that obviously decreases the pot of properties that are available. And we know that the PRS has contracted by 260,000 homes in the past four years. Um, and that is because, well, it's a number of reasons, but generally taxation, regulation, rhetoric around you know, landlords being the worst thing, you know, even below traffic wardens and other types of unpopular professions. But the reality is we have no social homes being built. We have the build to rent sector, you know, that doesn't even touch the sides. And now they've just bugged it up for everybody with interest rates because they're not going to be able to turn generation rent into generation buy. So, you know, we have to have a strategy around what we're doing. And that strategy should be around building new social homes and affordable homes, but also back in the private rented sector, removing regressive taxes that prevent investment and remove Section 24, which is discouraging landlords from remaining in the sector. That may not be a popular ask, but I maintain that the only beneficiary to those measures will be the tenants because it will bring bring prices down. Uh, It will ensure that there's an appropriate supply of homes. And I'll just say one other thing and I'll belt up, you know, landlords making a profit is not a dirty word. Don't care what anyone says. We're not charity. Uh, And even if you look at the social sector, actually, if you want the social sector to invest in their stock, they need to charge a fair rent. No such thing as a free lunch. And the sooner we come to terms with that, the better. Yeah, it's fascinating, Ben, isn't it? I am really interested in those stats. I cannot, my jaw dropped when you said 3.8% rise in the last 12 months in rents to October. That is so much lower than I expected. And that's certainly not my experience across the partnership. But then I think about the partnership and we're really proactive and we're really on it. So yes, we we do raise rents during tenancies. I know most don't. And with the recent rises in rents, demand for rent and the 
rents being paid we've really actively been been doing that and and ensuring that we were ready for the interest rate rises that are now coming because those landlords that are stuck on their historic rents of course you have a problem don't you if your rents are low and your your mortgages and 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 costs are, are going through the roof so although it might be a bit wishful thinking i agree with you I agree with Section 24 being, uh, what's the right word, repealed perhaps, and the perhaps 3% stamp duty surcharge being uh, removed. All of that would help. At the moment, though, the government is going in the opposite direction, you know, reducing capital gains tax allowances by uh, over half starting in April. And then again, the next year, you know, it all seems to be in one direction. You're absolutely right. It's just going to push up rents. What are you most concerned about, Ben? If you look at the last decade, we had licensing come in and then get stricter and stricter. We've had the 3% stamp duty, the Section 24, that there's a lot. We could probably between us list 20 things that have come in over the last decade that have all made those three areas of being a landlord worse. And you mentioned them earlier, entering the market, being in the market and then exiting. What are you most concerned about looking forward? My overriding concern is that I don't think we have a proper strategy when it comes to housing. What we have are a series of measures that are designed to either cool the market or you know take the heat out of the market, but they don't seem to be solving the fundamental problems. You know, we've still got bad landlords. We've still got criminal landlords and criminal agents that give us a bad name. And I should say we, we have the same on the other side with 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 tenants but as i say there's less sympathy towards that um, <laughs> not not on this podcast ben not on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i think my overriding concern is i'm clear from the government actions what they think about the private rented sector yet you know there's so many warm words about the importance of it i'd rather they just came out with what their plan is to do with it i don't think that you have to contract it because there isn't enough social housing there isn't enough prs housing there isn't enough build to rent housing and there aren't enough owner occupiers uh, housing to kind of go around so we we need um a strategy for each tenure now it may well be that government wants to boost the social sector but they haven't said that and they're certainly not making any noises about that it feels to me a bit like death by a thousand cuts but without sort of articulating what the end game is so i don't know how you kind of assess whether it's working or what success looks like off the back of this sort of weird strategy and you know the renters reform white paper whilst there are some nuggets in there of of improvements and a few bits that need a little bit of uh, a bit of a nip and a tuck you know you wouldn't call that a strategy a long-term strategy for housing and so I, I am concerned that we don't seem to have one that articulates you know what this government feels about a whole range of sectors i think you hit the nail on the head i I don't think it's that they're not communicating it i think they have no idea and i'm not political in any way but you just look at what changes have been made and the difficulty is if you have no idea what the rules are going to be moving forwards it's very hard to get fully invested in the game isn't it so then you have landlords hedging their bets and not wanting to invest case in point being epcs what are your thoughts about the proposed changes to the minimum EPC requirements for rented properties? I mean, the, the, the principle about, you know, improving our housing stock, I don't think is one that reasonable people could disagree with. I think you could lament the strategy that was sort of announced a year, 18 months ago with radio silence since, 
that's not the way to do things because that spooks the bejesus out of people. You know, we know that people will rationalize their or have rationalized their portfolio because they've got one eye on sort of 10K caps and 2025, 20, 28. But, you, you know, again, I wouldn't give landlords any advice on this front until government have set out what their sort of energy strategy actually is. Because, you know, when we have Boris, you know, there were sort of talks about heat pumps and stuff like that and, you know, a grant here or there. What is the country's long-term vision for energy for the next 20 years? Because I ain't going to make any changes to my properties until I know what it is. And alongside that, you know, the, the underlying EPC needs to be fit for purpose. You know, at the moment, it's so awful. It doesn't tell you very much at all, to be honest, that's helpful. And in terms of the sort of grading, I don't think uh, ripping out existing heating and putting in electric heating is going to go down very well in, in the face of a cost of living crisis just to get, you know, extra points on the EPC. So, you, you know, things are out of kilter and I know that government are looking at it, but I don't disagree with the the overriding desire to want to increase the housing stock. But I say that you need carrot and stick and you need to acknowledge that a third of PR, PRS homes are pre-1919 when it's, you know, it's going to be very difficult to make uh, energy improvements in a way that don't look really sort of but ugly, you know, with sort of external cladding. You know, there's no cavity walls to kind of insulate, you know, all of the easy bits that you would do on a normal sort of uh, property, you can't do. So, you know, th- 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 there will need to be some refinement, I think. And we've been doing a lot of work on the difficulties of retrofit, but also the difficulties of retrofit against the backdrop of sort of a housing supply crisis. You know, one of the case studies on BBC Breakfast this morning was a guy that was evicting his tenant because he wanted to renovate the property. Now, I didn't know the circumstances in what in, in which he wanted to renovate, but it wouldn't surprise me that he wanted to do some sort of EPC stuff. And he'd been very reasonable. He'd let them stay on longer beyond Christmas. But these guys couldn't find anywhere because the rent that they were paying with, with him was so much out of kilter to what's on the market. So... Uh, you know, uh, again, it's another strand of difficulty that we have to caution against because landlords, you know, for the most part, will want to comply with whatever regulations government put out. And I understand why they would want to increase uh, the energy efficiency of the of the housing stock. But, you know, don't do it in such a way that people sell and that property ends up in the owner owner occupied sector. And then you're left with the diminished supply and the same crappy house uh, bit of tenure. You know, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, because that's not regulated, is it? <laughs> if someone, if an owner occupier lives in it, they're uh, they're not going to have to raise the EPC. It's fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think it would take a brave conservative government to uh, <laughs> do that. That's for sure. <laughs> well, there was there was talk of um, the exemption to capital gains tax on PPR, principal primary residences, being removed, and I was I was saying to the the partners, I was saying that's never going to happen. Can you imagine the uproar? Yes, it'd bring in loads of money, but I can't see a government um, ever uh, surviving that kind of a measure. <laughs> no, it's so, a Tory one. <clears throat> absolutely, absolutely. So you talked a bit about campaigning, Ben, and you obviously are very eloquent in describing landlord situations. I'm, I'm really keen to to hear what the NRLA and yourself actually do. In what way do you influence the government? Because a cynical listener <laughs> might say well they haven't done very much then have they if, if over the last 10 years this has happened and I'm not being rude but I, I know you're one voice amongst many but how do you actually 
do it how do you get heard what, what what's a day in the life of ben actually look like i mean i do think that's a fair challenge by the way and what i would say to your listeners is that you know if government want to do something you know we're not going to be able to stand in their way um what we have to do is to construct the argument uh, and my strategy is not to wee in the wind on some of this stuff it's to articulate how you know the government of the day's strategy could be palatable or work for responsible landlords and that, that you know they're the hundred thousand uh, members that we have members that want to do the right thing that that want to play by the book so for me it's you know it's always being in the room uh, and making sure that you're a constructive player it's making sure that you've got hard facts so we do a huge amount of research both publicly and behind the scenes uh, with our members with tenants uh, with independent organizations where it adds uh, credibility and we use that to construct uh, a narrative. And one of the things that we're doing at the moment, and I hope, well, I won't release it before Christmas, but I'll release it in the new year. I will be talking in some detail about the impact that George Osborne's mortgage interest relief has had on the sector, why it's damaging, um, or I hope, <laughs> I hope this is what the independent research is going to Otherwise, I waste a lot of money. But, you know, the impact that these changes have had, what impact it's had on the tenant, what it's had on rents, what it's had on appetite and things like that, because it's all well and good, you know, for me to trot out a few uh, a few sound bites, but you've got to be able to have data behind you. People always want to see the data. So, you know, members getting involved in the surveys that we send, although tedious and maybe slightly long, actually, they are hugely helpful in our campaigning. Uh, and then, you know, we will source out friendly MPs, friendly peers, uh, raise questions, get in front of people and look at where we think there might be areas you know, to be able to make some progress on, you know, it's a long game. At the moment, we're very focused on the rental uh, reform bill, uh, a couple of specific areas, uh, one around repossession grounds and antisocial behaviour that doesn't work. Uh, secondly, around exempting PRS student tenancies uh, from the periodic tenancy in the same way that they have already done for purpose-built student accommodation and making sure that court reform accompanies Section 21 uh, abolition. And we're making good progress on those three things. But, you know, it's a, it's a hard slog. And, you know, we had the minister at our conference last week week uh, where she was talking about these things and I hope that we will get some get some concessions but we're also working on things like council tax disaggregation where there's an amendment on the leveling up bill that's going through this week where we're trying to get or uh, remove the local authorities ability to kind of reband rooms to council tax band a and just leave it at the property so you know uh, that's a technical detail but there's lots of things that that goes on but having a really solid argument having facts and figures and independent uh, research to be able to support what you're doing is a huge part of what we do the, the problem is it will always come back to there being sort of you know 11.7 million tenants and 2 million landlords uh, and a perception that landlords have had things so good for so long i mean i would i would rally against that but um you know we may all be in the same storm but we i think we have to acknowledge that we're in slightly different uh, boats when compared to uh, to renters and i think you know things are only going to get more difficult as uh, even more increasingly difficult decisions get made i agree 100 percent. it's really interesting um ben you, you say that that's a technical element the ability of councils to reband rooms in hmos as uh, as band a in effect 
sometimes trebling or quadrupling um, council tax for for landlords. But that's a a very real issue for some investors. The the hotel I mentioned, we purchased that as a 18-bed hotel, added 10 rooms, I want to say. So we made it 28 rooms, might have been 29 rooms to it. Got planning permission to turn it into a HMO. So 28-bed HMO, got licensing sorted for it. So we were all ready to change the use. So we were paying business rates as a hotel. With business rate relief, I hasten to add, so um, it wasn't crazy at all. And they wanted to charge us 28 times band A. And so that small bit of campaigning you've done there actually could be massively... Now, because we're resourceful in as much as we're not a small organization, we were able to then bring in a tax, uh, a, a council tax expert, and we were able to, to take advice and we're able to fight our battles. But a lot of landlords aren't, you know, it's not, not that they're not able to, it's that it wouldn't be financially viable to. And because we're a you know, we have a lot of partners, a lot of franchisees whom learn from us and are able to to share resources that we create, are able to make advantage. It makes it more financially viable for us to do some of those things. But having the NRLA actually challenge those at a, an inst- institutional level is very, very valuable. So, yeah, thank you for that. It's what we're here to do. But, you know, there's lots of issues in our sector. Do you know what I mean? You know, there are there are so many issues in, in our sector. You know, I've spoken about taxation and regulation and council tax disaggregation is just you know one small part of a bigger picture we've got energy we've got universal credit you know we've got court reform we've got a whole range of really pressing issues but we're only a small organization as well so we we have to pick our battles and we have to pick our moments absolutely i couldn't agree more so i'd love an example from you ben of a stat you said it's all about the stats and you've given some great stats today thank you i've written them down (laughs) I'll, i'll 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 use them because you're absolutely right. Otherwise, it's just opinion. A stat that has had the most impact. So something that the NRLA has come up with that you think, cool, that really helped in that discussion. And then secondly, connected to that, the biggest win that you've had as a as a campaigning organization. Where have you where are you really proud that something didn't happen or something did happen because of the NRLA? Yeah. So if I think of the stats side of life, I think for me it's always about kind of um dialing back to the makeup and composition. It's not very exciting, by the way, but the makeup and composition of our sector. And that's to remind people consistently that 94% of properties in this country are owned by an individual. And that's and that's really important because I think, you know, there's a perception out there about landlords that, you know, we sort of drive around the uh, uh, Caribbean in our in our Maseratis um, looking at any excuse to evict our tenant or put, or put the rent up. But that stat is accompanied by another, which is that 43% uh, percent of, of landlords have one property. Uh, and so I think sort of reinforcing the point and humanising the role that landlords play in the sector, but also about them, you know, um, that the cost of living will be impacting at landlords to varying degrees, I accept. But, you know, our market is made up of individual landlords with one or two properties that have brought their home to the market to, to rent in the absence of 
either being able to sell it or in the absence of there being sort of social housing available. And that and that's actually really, really important. You know, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. And, you know, we've sort of seen uh, examples in the past week of sort of much bigger uh, housing entities unable to kind of deal appropriately with mould. And so, you know, I sort of push back on the idea that somehow it's more difficult to regulate uh, lots of people uh, with one or two properties. Actually, I think you will get better outcomes if you spread the risk. Um, in terms of sort of campaigning, we did a huge amount of work during COVID around getting eviction bans lifted. But we also managed to get some exemptions to the eviction ban around egregious rent arrears and antisocial behaviour. That was a big win for us. Um, and it was also uh, a big win. Uh, not many people know about this, but there was a rent debt fund uh, made available in England of £65 million and £10 million in Wales. And we were instrumental at, at getting that on the statute book. And we partnered with other uh, organisations to make to make that happen. Because actually, at the end of the day, the vast, vast majority of landlords actually want tenants in their homes. You know, they don't want vacant properties. They want them to be able to afford them uh, and they want them to look after them. And so, you know, tangible measures when the chips are down are something that benefit both landlords and tenants. So I was quite pleased about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some massive wins there, Ben. Thank you. So you have got 100,000 landlords or members, most of whom are landlords, I imagine, that you communicate with, poll regularly, etc., I'd love to know, and I think our listeners would really benefit from, what advice, having having seen, and and even within your members, there must be some uh, some rascals, let's call them, and uh, and some very successful, you know, ethical investors, and some lovely, kind-hearted, unsuccessful financially landlords, you know, the whole gambit. What advice would you give to, to our listeners who are perhaps starting out on their property journey? How would you go about, how would you suggest they go about it, etc.? Well, I, I think you need to do a massive horizon scan of what you're, of what you're entering into. If you've watched one of these you know, funny daytime TV programs and think you know it all, then, you know, have a skip, frankly. Um, my, my advice would be, and we are seeing, you know, despite uh, landlords leaving the sector because of over-regulation and, and, and tax and all of that sort of stuff, we are seeing new people come into the sector that are quite happy to deal with that because it is still a little bit of an attractive place. Uh, it's less attractive, but it is still attractive, particularly if you get the capital appreciation. So I, I think knowing what you're going into, don't try and make it up. Um, and do make sure you get proper financial advice, both from the point of view of purchase and how you construct the entity, or if it's to be a company uh, uh, purchase or whether it's an individual, and then the associated taxation on top. And also, articu sorry, uh, also articulating your exit strategy up front, if you can, because that will dictate how you kind of, you know, set your your property business up. Um, and it is, you know, uh, the, the taxation element is something that you need to get right. Otherwise, you're going to be paying a punishing uh, amount of tax. And, you know, before you know it, uh, you won't be making anything at all. In fact, it will be costing you uh, to, re uh, to let that asset. So, you know, making sure that you do a proper horizon scan and particularly deep dive on the financial and kind of fiscal and taxation arrangements concerning the asset that you're thinking of buying. Sage advice, Ben. Thank you. I think the key word that I took out from that is, or the key phrase is property business. It is a business, isn't it? And I think the days of having a few buy to lets as a side hustle whilst you focus on your main thing, it, it, it really 
has to warrant a professional approach now so yeah couldn't agree more ben if people are interested in getting involved in the nrla and they've 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 heard you speak today and they feel like yeah i'd I'd like to to know more how does it work in terms of people joining yeah it's ever so simple um uh, nrla.org.uk slash join we've got two options uh, an individual membership uh, of £85 and a, a corporate member uh, membership where you can get up to, I think, five people associated with it. And you know, the, there's a whole range of uh, benefits despite the backdrop, backdrop of a kind of diminishing market. Um, landlords uh, are joining at a fast rate. So we will be shortly announcing our 100,000th member. Um, and this isn't just about lobbying, although lobbying and campaigning, as I say, is our main raison d'etre. It's about giving uh, landlords and their businesses the support that they need. So access to advice, access to tax investigation insurance, access to all the documents and forms that you need. But we're also launching our, our own CRM uh, in January. It's being tested at the moment where we will be giving members access to property portals uh, so that they can advertise their property on Rightmove and Zoopla uh, and, and full integration with our documents and forms so that you can uh, you know, uh, get documents uh, electronically signed and so forth. That's all included as part of membership. There's a million and one uh, other benefits, I'm sure, that somebody in marketing would be able to do a far better but that's selling but do have a look at the site because you know um the, the more we do together frankly the bigger voice we can have and the the, the more influence that we can have uh, as a member i didn't know we had that coming in january that's a game changer that's such a cost saving for the individual investor and um so important in fact we've just had it depends what order the episodes go out in but i've just interviewed one of the software providers in the marketplace and we spent a whole episode looking looking at the importance of systemization, the importance of leverage through um, software. So I think that's a massive benefit to becoming an NRLA member. Love it. If people want to get in touch with you or follow you on socials, where can they find you, Ben, other than the website? Twitter, at BeetleBen. Uh, you can connect with me on Facebook and, and LinkedIn uh, or email ben at nrla.org.uk fantastic ben thank you so much for your time it's been brilliant to chat ladies and gents i hope you've enjoyed getting a bit of a different flavor of our sector and where it's come from and where it's going and until next time happy investing sophisticated property investing a podcast brought to you by ethical property partners the experts in sophisticated property investment